0: Good evening again. I love that about the third service. Y'all respond. All right. If you could, uh, please take your Bibles, open them up to the book of Acts chapter 18. Uh, Today, the theme has been all day, technical difficulties. Uh, As you see, my lapel mic went out in the first two services, the clickers out today. So I'm just going to test this. Angie. All right. So let's see here. Hey, look at there we got it. Excellent. So, remove the gremlin, the technology gremlin. Um, today, we are actually wrapping up our series in the book of Acts called Meet Jesus. Uh, starting next week, whenever Dave gets back, we'll be starting a new series on, on faith, Father Abraham. I was trying to talk Kristen for the sermon art to like get one with the Brad for the elbow for you a know, series on Father Abraham, but He didn't go for it. I don't know why not. Um, But uh, I'm excited about that series as well. Uh, Meet Jesus, especially while we've been focusing in on the book of Acts, uh, has been a lot about the expansion of the kingdom of God and a lot about how the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. Uh, And so as we watch Paul go from city to city, we see him going in, from a rough place to rough place, uh, you know, he goes to Philippi, he's he's in prison, he goes to Thessalonica, there's a riot, he goes to Berea, the riot follows him, he goes to Athens, he's mocked, and so from place to place, everywhere Paul goes, there seems to be, they seem to be rough places and, and, and hard situations, uh, but I think as we look at the rest of Acts, and we look at the rest of human history, and we even look at our lives, that's kind of the case with the gospel. Uh, Jesus uh, never promised us it would be an easy thing to do to be his followers. He said, it's going to be hard. People hated me. They'll hate you as well. And as you take this gospel into the world, you're going to be taking it into hard places and hard situations. Um, I think that's applicable to us because we live in Colleen. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, I, I saw on Facebook the other day there's a new study released about the most dangerous cities to live in in Texas, and Colleen and ranked at number seven, um, which I was, I don't know, like, surprised, not surprised, I was like, eh, whatever. Uh, I've been here for five years, it's a beautiful city, love the people, uh, in fact, I actually grew up in Florence, my mother's family's from Colleen, so I spent every weekend up on North 2nd Street at my grandparents' house. Um, eh, it's a study. You can't really believe them, but there's no doubt that Colleen does have a reputation of being a a hard place. I think being next to a military post, uh, you know, the great place, Fort Hood, can also be uh, an added difficulty because people are always moving in and out. Their job is one that has a lot of stress involved with it, and it adds to the gospel going out here. It makes it a very hard place. It uh, makes it a place of many difficult situations. And as we read chapter 18 in the book of Acts, uh, I think it's going to be very enlightening for us because, once again, the gospel is going into a hard place and dealing with difficult situations. So let's go ahead and, and read this passage. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. We're reading through verse 17. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 927. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ, the Christ, was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent, and from now on I go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, one of the rulers of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what we want to do with our passage today is we want to look at three things God will use in the spreading of his kingdom. So as God's gospel is spreading, what will God use to make sure that gospel is is accepted? And then we also want to look at two truths that will help sustain us. So I know that is that is five points, which would almost sound almost like two sermons, but we will not be here that long, I, I promise you. Um, so the first thing we want to see in this text is that God will use every situation. God will use every situation in this world for his kingdom, for his gospel, for his glory. Last week, when we were talking about the sovereignty of God, we used the illustration of, of a dandelion. And when a dandelion is, is blown and the seeds are dispersed, that God knows where each one of those seeds is going to land on the ground. He knows which ones are going to, to bear fruit and become a new plant. And and if this God that we serve is that sovereign is that in control of, of time and space and history, we have to realize that that he is what I tell you, technical difficulties. What's going on? No. Oh, it's Corin. It's the app. It's crazy. What's that? Something like that. All right. Um, where was I? <laughs> Situation. All right. God will use every situation for His good. If our God is that sovereign, He will use all of human history in every situation for His gospel. We see this in verses one and two in chapter eighteen. Uh, Claudius, the the Roman emperor at the time, was in Rome, and there were all so- sorts of riots in the Jewish quarter of the city. And what most historians believe is that these riots in Rome were actually caused by Christ that when people came to faith at Pentecost and, and at the very beginning of Acts, they went back to Rome, they took their faith with them, and they started talking and preaching about Jesus. Uh, and just like when Paul went to any city, it caused riots. And so in Rome, there were these riots in the Jewish quarter of the city, and Claudius finally got upset and said, All right, I'm done. I, I, I'm done trying to calm you people, trying to satisfy you people. I just want you. I want you out of here. Everyone, Christians, Jews, whatever— you're just gone. I think oftentimes we, we read something like that, and we're like, okay, they were all cast out of the city, and we, we move on, but we don't think about the human element of, of what's going on here. Uh, I'm pretty certain the Roman emperor didn't say, you know what, I know it's hard to move, guys. You, you're gone, but you got six months to get your house in order before you do that. I, I don't think that's what the Roman emperor did. He probably said, all right, you're gone, now get okay. It's like, that was... The attitude, I'm sure. Their whole livelihood, their household, their homes, their businesses were all there, and now they have to just pick up and leave. They have to pick up and move. They can't. They don't have time to sell their possessions, to sell their house. The who they would sell it to, they're also being kicked out of the city, so they just have to leave. I'm sure Aquila and Priscilla thought, God, what's what's going on with this? How, how in the world are you going to use this? Why are we going through this situation? And what they do is they move to Corinth. They settle down. They set up their tent-making business. And all of a sudden, here comes the Apostle Paul, imprisoned and beaten in Philippi, involved in a riot and beaten in Thessalonica, run out of Berea, mocked in Athens, and here he comes in to the next city. Thinking, all right, here we go again. I need to find if I can preach somewhere so I can establish a church. And what does he find already there? He already finds believers. He's able to go there. He's being able to be encouraged and loved by them. He's able to work alongside of them. None of that would have happened had Claudius not said, all right, guys, you you need to get and you need to go. I'm tired of the riots. I was thinking about this as I was reading the text this week about uh, Pastor Dave and I when we went to the Middle East a few weeks ago. Um, we were able to sit down with a—he was, he was born a Muslim, but he became a Christian about seven, eight years ago, and now he is leading um, discovery Bible studies in his community. And uh, for for years, he was, he was going around to his neighbors and uh, telling them about Christ, having these Bible studies. And for a while, he's like, man— I, I've hit up everybody. All my family know know I'm a Christian. I've already shared the gospel with them. His brothers were actually in Hezbollah. They were officers in Hezbollah. I've shared the gospel with all of them. I've shared the gospel with the people around my house, my neighbors. And I'm kind of out of people to share the gospel to. And lo and behold, in Syria, there was a crisis. And there became a huge movement of people trying to escape ISIS and the crisis that's going on in Syria. And where do they go? They go to this man's doorstep. And he said, it's amazing that this humanitarian crisis has opened up the door to the gospel. The Syrian refugees that are coming to my community, I'm able to receive them in love. I do my best to collect food for them. They're hearing the gospel. They're open to the gospel. They're receptive to the gospel. I think it's it's so amazing to hear them. In a few weeks, on uh, July 10th, Frank Leeson, our, our missionary to Germany, is going to be preaching for us. Uh, he, he has the same story. He's like, man, they, there's just floods of, this flood of, of, of refugees coming into Germany. they are people who are, 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 many of them, tired of their faith, tired of their religion. Their hearts are open for the gospel. And he's like, I've got this window, before they kind of go back to their old communities, I've got this window where I can preach the gospel to them where they can be receptive. And so what we see is this horrible humanitarian crisis in the world that, that is frightening, that is so sad, that is destroying lives and ripping families apart. But at the same time, God is able to take that situation and say, I can work with that. I hope this gives you confidence in your own life that regardless of whatever situation you're going through, no matter how hard it is, whether it feels like your family and your life or is falling apart, that you know that God can look at what's going on and say, I can work with that. I, I can expand my kingdom through that. The gospel can, can grow through that. Be, be encouraged by that. I think the second thing we see God using is our occupation. Verses 3 through 4, one of the reasons that Paul was able to connect with Aquila and Priscilla so well is that they had the same occupation. They were both tent makers. Um, back in the first century, if you were a Jewish rabbi, you weren't funded by the local synagogue to go out and preach. You were self-funded. You had to raise your own support. Actually, raise. it wasn't raising support. You had to provide your own funds to be a rabbi. Um, and so for Paul... The way he funded his ministry is he made tents. Uh, it's actually like they'd weave goat hair together to make like a, a, a tent for a person traveling. Uh, or if they didn't have goat hair, they would use leather. So Paul was a leather worker. Um, the tools that you would use this are very small, very portable. So it was, it was good for someone like Paul to have a, a very portable trade. Uh, and so when he got to Corinth, he found Aquila, he found Priscilla. They're already believers. And you know what? They're making tents. And so Paul's able to stay with them and be encouraged by them. And we find what's happening here is God has put somebody in their lives uh, through their occupation that he became lifelong friends with. Eventually, Aquila and Priscilla would join his ministry in Corinth. They would travel with him to Ephesus. They he would, they'd actually disciple this guy named Apollos, who was from Alexandria, and he himself was a great evangelist and speaker, expanding the kingdom of God. They were able to disciple him uh, one-on-one. All of this happened, one, because of a bad situation, and two, because of their occupation. So Paul's occupation as a tent maker did two things for him. It allowed him to make important connections, and allowed him to fund his ministry. I think oftentimes whenever we talk about uh, our ministry at Grace Bible Church, what we try to stress is that your job, whether you're a stay-at-home mom whether you're working in a school district, whether you're working for the army, whatever it may be, your job is your ministry. And the effect that you can have on people that you are connected with at work is going to be far greater than that of any pastor in any church in this town. I remember before I came to Grace, I was a a school teacher, taught sixth grade in the Bible and history and math. So they got a great education in Bible and history not so much on math, um, and I remember about a year after I left that job to come work full-time at Grace Bible Church as a youth pastor, one of my old co-workers came up and said, how's the job? I'm loving it, and they, they asked me this question. They said, well, do you feel like you have more influence in these teenagers' lives as a youth pastor, you know, more than, so than you did when you were a school teacher? And I said, there, there's no question about it. You can have more influence on those students' lives as their teacher than you ever could as their youth pastor as a youth pastor i saw these kids maybe once a week twice a week if i was lucky maybe for three hours a day or a week but those little devils of sixth graders i saw them five days a week at least four hours a day they saw me at my best they saw me at my worst i saw them at their worst i saw them at their best and we were able to go through, like, classroom trials together and develop character, and we were able to talk about our faith. Who's going to have more influence in their lives, a youth pastor that sees them a couple hours a week or a teacher that sees them five days a week for four hours a day? There's no question. This church exists to train ministers. That's what this church is here for. The job of of, of pastors and elders is to build up the saints to do the work of ministry. And whenever you go to your work, you go to your kids, your co-workers, whoever it may be, it's your job to take the gospel to them. We oftentimes talk about needing to share the gospel with your co-workers. I want to take a little bit of a twist on this today, partly because Paul and aquil they're already Christians. So when you go to your place of work, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is to find the other Christians there. Find the other Christians there because I guarantee you that wherever you are, there's someone who's there who's accepted Christ, but they're pretty weak in their faith. They're pretty unsure of how to live life, of what that looks like, they might be coming out of this, this past, this history where they're still struggling with a lot of sin. And you know what they need? They need another believer to come alongside of them and to say, walk with me. Walk with me. Paul says in Thessalonians 5, 4 that we need to encourage the faint-hearted, that we need to, to help the weak. So as you go into your workplace, into your jobs, let's make sure that that is what we are doing that we are that we are encouraging the weak, helping the faint-hearted. Uh, the other thing we see Paul doing with his occupation is is funding his ministry. He was able to write the Corinthians later on, saying, "Hey, I didn't take any money from you. You you knew you know that my heart was pure. I funded my own ministry." We need, need to make sure that when we do work, that the funds do go towards ministry. Um, we try not to make a big deal of, of, of giving at our church because it's been so abused in our culture. Uh, so we just put a box in the back and say, give, you know, give however you want to give. Uh, but we need to make sure that we are giving to a ministry, not necessarily this ministry. We, we're going to keep our hands open in that. But it might be that you need to find a missionary go into another country and say, you know what? I'm going to fund their ministry. Or, you know, there's Hope Pregnancy Center in town. They're doing a good work. They're sharing the gospel. They're saving lives. I'm going to support their ministry. But we have to realize that the money that God gives us through our job, and I want to stress it in that language, the money that God gives us through our jobs is his money. And we need to make sure it's going back to him some. All right, then the other thing we see that God will use as his gospel grows and his kingdom grows, is that our God will use rejection. God will use rejection. So Paul here in verse uh, 5 through 8 was going to the synagogue. He was preaching. He was trying to reason with people, talking about how Jesus is the Christ, and what do they do? It says here in verse 6 that they opposed him and they reviled him. Think of the strong language that is. They reviled. When's the last time you used, I, oh, I reviled them? That, that's pretty strong language of how you feel towards somebody. I, I think that's even greater than hate. I hate him. Oh, no, I, I revile him. Revile him is almost like this throwing up imagery of like, oh, just stay away. I can't handle it. They They evoke such an emotion in me. Paul was opposed. He was reviled. And so what does he do? After months of preaching, after months of reasoning, it says here he shakes out his clothes and he says, my, your blood is no longer on my hands, but it's on your heads. I've shared the gospel with you. I've reasoned with you. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. He was rejected by them. And I I love what Paul does. Paul doesn't say, well, I give up. I guess I shouldn't share the gospel anymore. What what does he do? It says he, he walks out the door of the synagogue. He walks to the next house over talks to Titius Justice and says, hey, can I use your place? Can can I set up shop right here? You're a God-fearing Greek. Can I talk about Jesus here? He said, yeah, sure. So Paul changed his tactics. He changed his location. And what happened? The leader of the synagogue comes to know Christ. The same person who is probably opposing him and reviling him Except Jesus, even this rejection that that was given to Paul is being used to spread God's kingdom. Um, I think of it of like Kerplunk. Anyone know Kerplunk? At my grandmother's house that I stayed out in North Colleen, there wasn't a lot to do at Grandma's house. You know, we couldn't really go outside. You might get shot. Not playing. It wasn't. It wasn't that bad. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there, there. They did have cable, which we didn't have growing up, so that was always kind of fun watching Mr. Ed, and Nick at Night, and all that good stuff. Um, but they also had all these old games. One of the old games they had was Kerplunk. It's like the the cylinder tube has all the holes in the middle, and you slide the straws all in the middle through the holes. You punch a bu- put a bunch of marbles on the top, and you one by one start pulling the straws out, and you're trying not to make the marbles like Kerplunk. Um, but once you pull that one straw. It just seems like all the marbles fall. And whenever Paul was rejected by the synagogue, and he went to Tish's house, he, it was like that last straw, and there was a flood of people coming to know Christ. The the, the the synagogue leader, his entire household, his wife, his kids, his servants, and all these Corinthians came to know Christ. I hope this is encouraging to you, because I know some of you probably have parents who have not accepted the faith. You might have kids who have rejected the faith. You might have other loved ones and close friends who are saying, I'm just not interested. And they reject you, and they reject you, and they reject you. Know that God can use rejection to expand his kingdom. And as long as there is breath in their lungs, there is opportunity for them to accept Christ, so remain faithful. Keep praying for them. Don't lose hope. But because rejection is so hard, I think there's uh, there's importance in these two truths that we're going to look at. Um, whenever I was with the youth, we'd do weekly Bible studies, and we'd always ask the same questions about whatever passage we read. One of the questions we'd always ask is: Are there any promises to claim in this text? And we use that word, uh, promises, to claim that phrase. What that doesn't mean is like you see a nice car going down the road, and you're like, I claim that promise, God's going to give it to me. That's not what we're talking about there. Um, what we're talking about is every now and again, you're going to read a passage in Scripture, and there is going to be a truth in that passage, something God says, I will do, or I have done this. And you take that and you say, I need this for my life. This is going to keep me faithful. This is going to keep me strong. Regardless of what I'm going through, I'm holding on to that. So that's what we mean by promises to claim. There are two promises in here that I think is very important. Uh, One is that God is with us. Look at verses 9 and 10. Um, It says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people, and he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among the people. I think this is so important that God is with us. I think oftentimes when we read the Bible, we once again we always forget that these were real people, and as soon as this synagogue leader came to faith, and his household came to faith, and all these Corinthians came to faith. Paul was probably thinking, I've seen this happen before. And whenever there is a lot of people turning to Jesus, there always seems to be a lot of pushback. And I'm always receiving the short end of the stick on that deal. I know Paul talks about that in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is what Paul has said has happened to him. He says in 11.24, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, Forty lashes uh, less one, so thirty nine lashes times five they didn't lash you forty times because they said that would kill you uh, so thirty nine lashes on four different or five different occasions um, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day, I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger uh, in uh, hardship—oh, I'm sorry— danger at sea, danger from false brothers, verse 27, uh, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things— there is the daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. We forget that Paul was a real man, that he went through real trials. And we start thinking, he's, he's, he's Superman, he's a mutant, he's Energizer Bunny. Whatever you do, he, he just keeps on going. But you have to realize that as soon as things started going well, that fear started creeping up in him. I wonder, you think his back ever fully healed? Thirty-nine lashes on five different occasions, beaten with rod three times. You think those sleepless nights that he mentions there in Second in Corinthians were due to the fact that he couldn't get comfortable because his back was so ripped up? That he had to wake up in the morning and say, Hey, Silas, can you just pull my cloak? Because it's kind of stuck to me. This was a real man facing real trial, having real fear. I had an injury a little over a year ago where I separated my shoulder, uh, I got, got like three broken ribs. After right after that, I caught a bug at the urgent care center. And so I started throwing up the next day with my broken ribs. It was like, ah, right, this is great. I, I'm still not fully recovered from it. I'm still not back where I was. I'm just thinking about Paul, like what what he went through. And so what what does Jesus do? Our Lord, always faithful, always taking care of us, says this don't be afraid. But go on speaking, don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. The Lord assured him, saying, I'm with you, and you know, I'm gonna give you a break here. And maybe that's why Paul stayed like a year and a half, 'cause he's like, I get a break here. I'm gonna stick around for a while. But but that promise from God saying, I'm with you. It reminds me of the very end of Matthew in chapter twenty eight, verse twenty. The very last words that Jesus gives us, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One of the promises that we need to claim, that we need to hold on to, is is the promise that our God is Emmanuel. He is God with us, that he never leaves us in whatever situation we're going through, whatever rejection we receive, no matter how hard work is, how hard family is, how hard sharing our faith is, our God is there. He is with us. I think the final truth to hold on to is that God has a people. It says at the very end of verse 10, he says, For I have many in this city who are my people. And then he goes on to tell this little story at the very end. And I think there's an important reason why he tells it. Um, all the Jews upset at all the success Paul is having. They go to this, this this proconsul, they go to Gallio, and they say, man, you need, to, you need to get Paul. He's teaching people to worship uh, this God. It's against the law. And Paul starts to defend himself. And Galeo doesn't even give him the chance. He says, what's it to me? This sounds like an issue in your own law about names and people. I have nothing to do with it. You need to leave. And the Jews, not wanting to leave, wanting Paul to be silenced, Kind of stick around. So it says in the text that Galileo had to had to force them, had to drive them out. And eventually, they grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, who was bringing these these accusations against Paul. And they beat him there at the tribunal. I think this is partly to show how God is faithful to protect Paul, but I think it's also to focus in on how God has a people. So I, I do, typically I don't ask you to turn. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want, I want you to see this. If you're in the Pew Bibles, it's page five, uh, 952. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is writing this church in Corinth that after he left it. And it says in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Isn't that neat? God told Paul, I'm going to protect you. I don't want you to be silent because I have people in this city, many people in this city. And when the call goes out, the gospel message goes out, they're, they're going to be like sheep hearing the voice of their shepherd." and they're going to return to me. Paul didn't know who they were. He didn't know their names. He didn't know how many. He was just called to be faithful, to keep sharing that gospel. And it turns out that this second synagogue leader who brought accusations against Paul was beaten because of Paul. Also, one day, would be a follower of Christ, be a leader of the church, writing back to this church with Paul. I I hope this promise and this truth encourages you not to be disheartened. That it would encourage you to continue to be a faithful laborer putting out there the gospel message even in the face of rejection. Because we never know when that person is going to say yes. I too believe. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We, we thank you for the promises in your Word that encourage us, that that lift us up, Lord, when we are weak and we are faint hearted. And then it says, "Continue on in this good fight." Father, may we, Your people, be faithful to Your gospel, to Your kingdom, uh, until our dying breath. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.